Patrick. Very touchy. You know, we got the Shliach uh, Tibbet there. That's what the Shliach Tibbet for. Okay, good. everyone. These uh, parshios that we're going to read now, Truma Tetzave, Parif Kisiso, Ayakel Pkude, almost half of Chumashmot, concern themselves with the Mishkan with the uh, artifacts that were in the Mishkan and uh, because of the fact that we don't long, we no longer have a Mishkan and that we no longer have the artifacts and that for most of Jewish history, or at least for half of Jewish history, uh, they have not been physically present amongst us. So uh, always the question arose, the problem, the issue, is that uh, what are we to learn from all of the details which the Torah tells us in these parshas? regarding something that we never saw and that we really have no uh, relationship to. And the Torah is eternal. So what is the Torah communicating to us? So as we know... Uh, the Torah has to be understood on many different levels. It's nuanced on, the Gemara says, Shivin Ponim La Torah, 70 different levels. So that even though uh, one level may not be present or relevant to us, there are other levels that are very prevalent and very level to us, very important to us, and therefore we have to dwell on it in that fashion. So I want to give you an example today of uh, details of the Mishkan, of the Mizbeach, and uh, uh, how uh, the rabbis took this and developed it into halachot, into laws, and how then it was transformed into a value system, an understanding of life, a perspective on all events. So in the Torah we read uh, 
We read last week already. Mizbeach Adomo Tivneli. You shall build for me an altar Adomo out of earth. Dirt. This week's parsha in Truma, the Torah describes that Mizbeach to us. So that Mizbeach was hollow, says Nevuv Luchos. Nevuv Luchos means it was hollow, there was no middle to it. So it was four walls. And the description is that the four walls were built out of atze shitim, acacia wood. Someone pointed out to me correctly that this week when I was learning with you, I always said cedar wood. It's not cedar wood, it's acacia wood. The acacia tree can grow in the desert, has a tremendous root system. It finds water where there is no water. So it was made out of the wood of that tree. And then the the Torah tells us it was plated with bronze. That was called the Mizbeach Hanachoshes. The bronze, the copper Mizbeach. So the bronze, copper Mizbeach was a square. Wooden walls. And the walls were plated with bronze. There's a second Mizbeach. The Torah says Mizbechos, plural. The second altar was made out of, again, acacia wood. In the time of the temple, may have been made out of cedar wood. It was smaller in size, and it was plated with gold. It was called the Mizbeach Hazov, the golden altar, because the plating was not copper or bronze, but it was rather gold. And that Mizbeach uh, served as the altar upon which the Torah, the incense, was offered every day by the Kohen. That Mizbeach, the Mizbeach Hazov, was inside the building, was inside the Hechel. The Mizbeach Hanachoshes, where the animal offerings took place, that was outside the building in the courtyard in the Azorah. Okay, so there's a Mishnah in Chagiga that says an interesting thing. That uh, the Jewish people came for all of the holidays to Yerushalayim to debate the Mikdash. And they were obligated to bring a, a sacrifice, a korban, a, a lasriya, 
not all of the Jewish people, I know you'll be surprised to hear this, were scrupulous in their observances of the minutia of halacha. These people were called, the, 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 the Mishnah, the Talmud has a, a particular definition. The word today means much more than that. But they were called Amorites, Amorites. It meant the masses of the people, not the scholars, not the people who learned in Kolo. But they were good Jews. They were what used to be called in Yiddish Amcha, the masses of Israel. Charitable, Jewish, traditional, not learned. Now in our time we put a tremendous emphasis on knowledge. And we have made it so that we uh, we have made it uh, the measure of the entire Jewish society. But that was not the way it was uh, for centuries on end. In uh, Eastern Europe there not everybody knew the Talmud. Not everybody had a Talmud. Not everybody ever saw a Talmud. But they were good Jews. There was a song in Yiddish. I will not burden you with the melody. Vos mir seinen seinen mir. Whatever we are, we are. Oberiden Zainemir. But we're Jewish. And that summed up the society. Well, we're not, uh, we're not rabbis, we're not uh, yeshiva students, we're not scholars, we're shoemakers, we're tailors, we're teamsters. But we're, whatever, but we're Jewish. That was the classic Amoritz that we find in the Tanakh and in the Talmud. Over the centuries, the uh, phrase Amoritz has come close to meaning an educated boor, which is a uh, far more pejorative term than it was used in the time of the Mishnah, the Talmud. One of the problems of the Amorites was that he or she was not particularly knowledgeable or understood the complicated laws of Tuma and Tahara, of purity. Now in our time, it's also pretty much not relevant except for certain instances because uh, we there's no way for us to get out of the tumor, etc. Simply living outside Eretz soil is a tumor, etc. So, again, by us, that's not, it's not our field. But in the time when the Beit HaMikdash stood in Jerusalem, 
So you had to be tahor, ritually pure, to go to the Beit HaMikdash. Came Yontiv, came the holiday, hundreds of thousands of Jews came to Yerushalayim. The Novi Yecheskel says, Ketzon Yerushalayim b'mo'adeho. Enormous amounts. We can imagine it today. Birchazkoanim at the Kotel, you know, pre-COVID and after COVID, but it's it's 50,000 people, 60,000 people come into the square. And the Beit HaMikdash, uh, everybody wanted to see it. So they had thousands of visitors come in. Now the visitors were supposed to be ritually pure. They had to go to the mikveh before. If you go to the southern wall on the excavations, uh, there are 30, 40 mikvot that they dug up. Because everybody went to the mikveh before he went on to the premises of the Beit HaMikdash. But even so, not everybody knew how to go to the mikveh, not everybody was careful, not everybody. And therefore, uh, people came into the Beit HaMikdash. So we didn't want it, the Chazal didn't want to stop people from coming. They didn't ask him for uh, a Tav Yarok at the door. So everybody could come in. We, we put, put everybody on the Chazalka with the presumption that they could come into the Beit HaMikdash. And when he came into the Beit HaMikdash, people touched things, either voluntarily or inadvertently. So you can imagine the golden menorah, right? Who wouldn't want to touch the menorah? So therefore, the halacha is, the Mishnah Chagiga says, that after Yontav was over, the Kohanim took all of the artifacts that were on display during Yontav, and they took them out in order to purify them. Because we are afraid that they became impure because people touched it, and the people who touched it were not necessarily uh, halachically, ritually, 100% pure. So they took it out. And the, and the Mishnah tells us they had spare, uh, for instance, this, the great menorah, there was a second one or a third one. So that when they took out the first one to cleanse it, they had another one that they could put and use. It never interrupted the service in the temple itself because they had substitute artifacts. But the Mishnah says there were two items that were uh, never taken out to be purified. 
One was the Mizbeach Azov, and one was the Mizbeach Anachoshes. This uh, box that was the altar of bronze, that they never, that there was no problem of tumor there. And the uh, smaller box that uh, was the uh, altar for the incense, the golden altar, that also, they didn't worry, there was no question of it becoming Tommy. That's the Mishnah. So naturally the Talmud inquires, why are these two artifacts exceptional? From the general rule that you have to take out all the artifacts and uh, purify them. So the answer the Talmud gives is because these artifacts could not become Tomei. In the complicated laws of Tuman Tahara, these artifacts could not become Tomei. They could not become impure. Why? So the Gemara says, Omar Rabbi Lozer, Rabbi Lozer said, the uh, great altar, the copper altar, the bronze altar, was hollow. The middle of the altar, the hollowness of it, was filled with earth. In other words, he had a box, but the contents of the box was earth, dirt. Earth, dirt is not macabre tumba, can never become tumba. And since the Torah called it the altar of earth, Mizbeach Adomo, you'll build for me an altar of earth. So even though the altar of earth was surrounded by acacia wood that was plated in bronze and in, or copper, it nevertheless considered Mizbeach Adomo. So it was not macabre tumor, it didn't ever become tummy, and therefore I wasn't afraid that whoever touched it, it didn't make any difference, because it cannot become impure. Then it says in the Torah, Mizbechos, so the Gemara says, the, whatever rule applied to one Mizbeach, to the copper Mizbeach, the same rule applied to the golden Mizbeach. So even though the golden Mizbeach itself was not out of earth in the middle, nevertheless, since it is connected by the Torah to the copper Mizbeach, and the copper Mizbeach never becomes impure, so the golden Mizbeach also never becomes impure. That's Rebbe Loser's opinion. There's another opinion. I know you'd be surprised to hear that. They say uh, it may be apocryphal, but uh, they say that uh, Rabbi Soloveitchik uh, 
when his uh, son-in-law, Dr. Tversky, became, uh, received his Ph.D. from Harvard, or maybe, say, by Lichtenstein, I remember how how it worked. I think it's Rabbi Lichtenstein. So he got his PhD in English literature, John Milton. So Rabbi Soloveitchik asked him, uh, my dear child, after receiving your... So what did you learn there in Harvard? What do you take away from there? So he thought for a minute and he said... My dear father, I learned that there always is another opinion. So Rabbi Soloveitchik says, then it's worth it. So the Gemara says there's another opinion. The Chachomim, the, the rabbis, who were the colleagues of Rabbi Elozer, and they said that the... Uh, Mizbeach, the outside Mizbeach was plated in copper and the inside Mizbeach was plated in gold. Period. Cryptic. So that they agree with Rabbi Elozer or they disagree with him. What does it mean? Why did they say it's plated? To make it even more complicated, uh, the Talmud itself says there are two ways to look at this. One way is that they disagree with Rabbi Elozer, because Rabbi Elozer said it's an earthen Mizbeach, and they said it's not an earthen Mizbeach, it's plated with copper, it's plated with gold. It's a metal Mizbeach. A metal Mizbeach, it does become tummy. There's a second opinion the Gemara itself says. If you want, I'll tell you a second opinion. That it is an earthen one. So Rashi explains that even though it was plated, it's still considered an earthen one. It's whatever you go through. There's a complicated halacha there about uh, stationary uh, items made out of wood. It's a whole complicated thing. I'm not going to go into it. The Rambam has a different approach completely, which is the point I'm trying to get to. The Rambam says... The opinion of the Chachomim, they agree with Rabbi Elozer that the altars never became Tome. But he said, it's not that the altars never became Tome because they're earthen. Or they're, we don't have to go there. They never became Tome because plating is only the surface of the item. It is not the item. And therefore, since it's only the, it's not the essence of the item itself, it's not Makabul Tumor, it cannot become Tommy. Even though when we look at it, we see a bronze altar, or we see a golden altar, 
But that's only the plating, the Rambam says. Only the external. Based upon this idea of the Rambam, we have here a tremendous insight. The Mizbeach was meant to serve, so to speak, the Jewish people and to connect it to their God. You cannot connect to God if you're only looking at the plating. If you're only looking at the outside of things. You will never understand what happened here and you won't be able to identify what's right or wrong. That's what the Pesach says, Odom Naim, Vashem We only see externals, what our eyes tell us. But God sees the inside. The inside is what counts. Now, the inside is always influenced by the outside. But the rule in life is that the outside is not the essence. It's not the thing itself. Now we have an expression in English, clothes make the man. So Judaism says, no, it doesn't. Clothes don't make the man. The man is inside the clothes. You need clothes. But that doesn't identify the person. And uh, we uh, live in a world where externals are very important. That's how we identify people. You see people on the street, now how that person is dressed, I automatically assess what kind of a person he or she is, what society they belong to, etc. And that's a false notion. Yet it is a very, very prevailing one. I have a story. Uh, uh, there was a period of time when I was in Muncie, so uh, once um, a week I taught a class in the Yeshiva Torvadas in Brooklyn. So I had to drive in from Muncie to Brooklyn. And... Uh, it was a period of time when uh, I find, found it hard to drive at night and uh, stay awake, which is not a good thing. Once I found myself in the, in the, in the middle, in the median strip, I didn't know how I got there even. So I was always afraid. So I usually found some poor person who got stuck to go with me. And we would have a conversation that would help me. One time I didn't find anybody. I'm going by myself. And I was worried. I get to the entrance of the uh, throughway, 
and I see there's a young man in Hasidic garb who's hitchhiking. I say, oh, Elio, I know it. I stop, and I say to him in Yiddish, uh, you know, where are you going? He says, he's going to Brooklyn. Okay, we're going to Brooklyn. I'm going to Brooklyn, too. Good, fine. Get in the car. Get in the car. We start driving. The man doesn't say a word. We're driving like 20 minutes, not a word. I'm getting drowsy. So I open the window, even though it's freezing outside. He doesn't, nothing moves him. I figure I'm stuck. So my only hope is to turn on the radio. So what am I going to turn on the radio? Uh, Listen to the hockey game. Uh, What am I going to do with him? So I uh, turned the radio on to the uh, classical music station in the New York area. Then it was WQXR. And uh, so we're going to listen to classical music. So we're driving along and the radio is playing. My companion all of a sudden uh, taps me on the shoulder and he says to me, uh, isn't that Mahler's Fifth Symphony? Well, that opened the whole new world. And we started to talk, and the man knew, uh, you know, you could talk on any subject in the world, and he was there. We talked about the, the difference between the Chesidim and the, the Gon, and we talked about the Rambam, and then we talked about... It was, it was, in an instant, we were in Brooklyn. It was wonderful. Uh, I take him to where he's going. It's two blocks from where I'm going. And he says to me, uh, where do you live? I said, I live in Muncie. He said, where in Muncie? I said, I live up the hill. That's where... Uh, the non-Hasidic world lived. So he said to me, where do you daven? So I told him the name of the shul, I daven in Beis Torah. He says, Beis Torah, Beis Torah. He says, isn't that Rabbi Wine's synagogue? (laughs) I said to him, yeah, Rabbi Wine is the rabbi there. So he said to me, if Rabbi Wine has people like you in the synagogue it must be hard for him to speak there (laughs) I said you have no idea how hard it is but here I had judged somebody I saw the plating and I'm convinced that he doesn't know Mahler's fifth so it was a great Musser lesson to me So that's part of the Musr here in the Maaseh Mishkan. So in Halacha it ends up, is it Tomei, is it not Tomei? We go and we we don't have a Mizbeach, but we have that idea. Is it the plating or is it the thing? 
What do we follow? How do we look at things? And do we realize that there's a difference between the plating and between the item itself? Now that's an important lesson. And that's why the Torah dwelt upon it here. And that's why the Mishnah and Talmud went into such detail. Because from this halacha, we have a world view. So when we hear the parsha read, we should think of it in all of its terms as possible. In all of its levels. Not just in its simple, uh, translatable, literal sense. But as the great message because it says in the parsha, This is about Pesochom. This is about you. It's not about the building. The building is the plating to see it. But to really see it, it's within you. And that's one of the messages of the Torah this week. So Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Stay warm, stay dry. I hope this worked. <laughs> 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 <laughs>